such an honor to be here. I tell you what I'd like you to do, just remain seated because I find it's easier to turn in my Bible when I'm sitting down than standing up, except for some of you hotshots that do it on your phones and your tablets, you can, can do it anywhere, you know, but anyway. Thank you, Dr. Getch, and thank you, uh, Dr. R. That's never what I called him when we were fellow professors together back in Indiana. Uh, but I was uh, a little bit more privileged. I actually called him Mark. Yeah, he's a lovely name, lovely name, Dr. I feel like whenever I hear the students say, Dr. R, this, I feel like, what is he, a pirate? Dr. R, you know. <laughs> Dr. R is here, you know, but anyway. <laughs> Excuse me. I try to behave, you know, but it's very hard. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, and I love it when the old preachers say, you know, and, and I said it when I was a young preacher too, out of reverence for the Word of God, let us stand. Sounds so impressive. I remember hearing Monroe Parker when he came to our school, and that may have been before your time. I'm not for sure. Maybe not. You know, you've been around. Your hair's gray. <laughs> At least you got it. But anyway, when Monroe Parker just kind of said as a sign, I read the entire Bible through on my knees. I said, oh my, I need to do that. And I read every word of the King James Bible through on my knees. You're ready for an epiphany, aren't you, right? I came to the end of reading every word of the Bible on my knees, and this overwhelming conclusion hit me. It reads just as good sitting down. <laughs> Listen, I can reverence the Word of God if I'm in the shower and Alexander Scorby is reading it to me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Because he knows us, <laughs> with or without clothes. So he, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that that was appropriate, but anyway. <laughs> I'm scaring myself. I better get in the Word of God. <laughs> Do you ever find, Brother John, that, that some, uh, the Reverend Getch, I'm sorry, I, I'm doing first names. Oh, yeah, I know everybody by first name. I was talking to Polly last night. But anyway, um, okay, okay, okay. Behave, behave. <laughs> As George W. Bush used to say, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> If we comment too much before the Word of God, wild, weird things can happen. I don't have to talk about youth conferences getting weird. I can just do it all by myself. <laughs> Sometimes I'm beside myself. Who is that guy? But anyway, so anyway, notice what it says. Let's re remain seated, please. Um, I don't know which one I go to first, but I'm going to get all of them, okay? First of all, let's look at Luke 18.1. Look at Luke 18.1. Luke 18.1, Luke 18, all right? Luke 18.1. By the way, that was some great singing. The acapella singing was just beautiful. Uh, or as we used to hear it, Acapulco singing, remember that? Okay, and then also the special was just fantastic. Just warmed my heart, just great stuff. I thank the Lord for West Coast Baptist College. It has been just um, kind of a bellwether, kind of a uh, flagship college that's really led the way for God and for good. And, I know that every one of you are blessed for being here, whether you came across the town to come here, across the country, or some of you across the world to come here. It's been a great school, a good name, and I, I kidded around about the leadership, but I don't know any Christian college that has a greater uh, field of leadership, uh, administrators and teachers than this school. 
And uh, God bless this school. God keep her going for a long, long time until Jesus comes. Luke 18, 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. First Thessalonians 5, please. First Thessalonians 5. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's a great passage of Scripture, isn't it? A great verse. And then he gave the lessons on how to all through the New Testament. I like what one minister said many, many years ago. He said, I cannot take you anywhere in the Bible where Jesus ever taught a man to preach, but I can show you where he taught a man to pray. Amen. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You probably know where I'm going by now. Verse number 17, three words, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. And why don't you go ahead and read it with me out loud? Pray without ceasing. If you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Now, there is some, you know, argument with the fact that Acts chapter 6 chooses out these men. And some will say that this is the beginning of the deacon board. Some say, well, it is not. I, I personally believe it was the beginning of the deacon board. I really do. Because you see the two offices of the church, you know, the pastor and the deacon. So I believe that these gentlemen were deacons, servants of the Lord. And so I think most Baptists believe this. And, uh, and I think it's a safe interpretation. I think it's biblical. I think it's contextual. So it's interesting. What was the main reason that God placed deacons in the church? Well, it says in verse number 3, chapter 6 of Acts, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may point over to this business, this business, taking care of the widows, doing the business of the church, the day-to-day -day grind. Verse number 4, look at this. But, and this is the consensus of the twelve disciples, but we will give ourselves continually... Not every now and then, not occasionally, not seasonally. This is instant in season, out of season. Look at what it says. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So those of you that are going into the ministry of the word, whether it be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or a combination of all of the above, we need to keep in mind that God gave us servants in the church like deacons so that we may give ourselves continually. Now, that's not to say that, as a matter of fact, when we first started out in Houston, I cleaned the toilets and I mow the lawn and I'm willing to do that. But now that the church has grown, I would be sinning against the Lord if I stopped studying to show myself approved in the God by the way, a workman they need is not to be ashamed. The reason a lot of us are ashamed in the pulpit is because we have not studied to show ourselves approved to God. And if I do not give myself continually, right here, to prayer, I am sinning. Was it not Samuel that said that if he did not pray for the people, that he was sinning against God? So the minister of the word, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, are to be men of prayer. Men of prayer. And then finally, look at Ezekiel chapter 22. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll, God's help will get into the message, okay? Notice what it says in Ezekiel 22 and verse number 30. 
I'm going to go ahead and get you into this before I read it with you out loud, but it's talking about, I sought for a man among them. This is God speaking through his prophet that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. I have heard per preaching from this verse at mission conferences. I'm looking for a man, God says, get in the gap, stand, make up the hedge. We need more missionaries, and I know that we do. When we reflect that there's more missionaries coming off the field in American fundamental evangelical Christianity than there are going on the field, yeah, I'd say, I think, that's a, I think that we can apply that and not be ripping it out of context. A lady said to me many years ago, Brother Pope, isn't it a shame that God isn't calling more young men to preach? I said, oh, ma'am, God is still calling. They're just not surrendering. And so I've heard in Bible conferences, we need, and youth conferences, man, we're hanging them out over the dread of disobedience by saying, tonight you've been thinking about it, young man, do it tonight. God's looking for a man to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap. And I think that's applicable. Nothing wrong with that. I've been in Christian education conferences, and although I hadn't heard this specific verse used, I will hear the plea for in private Christian parochial education and in homeschooling, we need you to stand in the gap for the next generation. And I think that's applicable. But it's not what specifically God was talking about in Ezekiel 22 and verse number 30. He said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, give us the Holy Spirit power and blessing. If my mind even begins to wander away from your thoughts, bring me back because your word is the only thing that will be said today that we can 100% trust. And so may I stay true to the only word that is 100% viable infallible and true. We love you, Lord Jesus. Help us to love you more. I pray for a special thing also, that you will help and arrest the mind of the young man or young lady that is going to be tempted to let their mind wander on events or people or things that will be done before or after this meeting. Because I know that there's, if there's one subject the devil would love to get these young people not to listen to today, it would be this subject in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes it was the younger son in a Hebrew family that would be placed in the place where the fence, where the protection for the lambs and the sheep had been broken down. And while the young son is in the gap, the older boys and dad would be collecting the materials and then coming back to build it up. And so if that younger son is not there, that means the sheep are in trouble. If the younger son is not there, that means the little lambs can be snatched by the predators. So that obligation of that young son to stand in that hole in the wall, that hole in the fence, was incredibly important. Now tonight, last night we talked about the importance, the vital importance of giving. And tonight or this morning I want to speak to you on the vital importance of prayer. So God said, I'm looking for somebody who will stand in the gap, and here it is, 
before me. That's the place of prayer. A moment ago when I was in that green room, I was in there waiting. Here comes Brother uh, uh, R. And here comes Brother John. And uh, so I was standing before them and we began immediately, we didn't just stand there, we began to communicate. So this is God's way of saying, I'm looking for somebody who will come before me and communicate with me. And here was the purpose, that I might not destroy the land. Now, God willing, I'm going to touch on this a little bit at the end of the message. It's an unusual thing, isn't it? It's not isolated. Because this is exactly what Abraham did when he asked God, would you not destroy Sodom? And he began to list the number. And God said he would not do it for this. And, it would not, and he got it, finally got it down to 10. I won't destroy it for 10. It was, God was saying, I want you to negotiate with me. I want you to, <laughs> I want you to talk me out of judgment. Here's what he said. He said, I'm looking for a man that will talk me out of judgment. Somebody that will pray the price. Years ago in Why Revival Terry's old Leonard Ravenhill pointed out prayer is a preacher's power. Prayer is a penitent's plea. Prayer is the orphan's refuge. And a preacher that's not a praying preacher is a playing preacher. You see, if you're really thinking about being a communicator of the Word of God, you have two things to keep in mind. Prayer and the ministry of the Word, this is your main task. Now you might say, well, no, soul winning. No, everybody's to be a soul winner. Holiness, everyone is to live holy. And everyone is to pray and to get in the Word, and as Colossians says, let the Word dwell in you. But it's the specific job of the communicator of the Word to give himself holy to prayer in the ministry of the Word. Well, we're going to deal with prayer today because sometimes I think this is where many of us lack. Why, why is it that most of us, I'm not going to raise a hand, on, ask you to raise a hand on this, because if ever there was a rhetorical question, this is a rhetorical question. The question being, don't raise your hand, are you satisfied with your prayer life? You satisfied with your prayer life? I mean, you, are you happy with the way that your prayer life is going? The answers that you get to your prayers, are, are, you, are you okay with that? The reason I say it's rhetorical because I know the answer. First of all, those that are humble before the Lord never feel like they pray enough. <laughs> and those that are not right with God know the deficit in your experiential life by not praying. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. That's not merely some cliche. That is a fact. The devil knows it. Was it Baxter that said, the devil fears nothing for prayerless labor? The fair, devil fears nothing for prayerless preaching. The devil fears nothing for prayerless studies. The devil fears nothing from prayerless activity. But when the weakest saint is upon his knees, all hell trembles. It is prayer that breaks the powers of darkness in an incredible way. And you can see that when it talks about fasting and prayer in Isaiah, the 58th chapter. Your light will spring forth. Bondage will be broken. Remember, Jesus was encouraging the disciples. That what's the problem? This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Demonic powers are broken down when we learn to pray the price. 
I got to thinking about something, knowing I was going to speak on this subject this morning. The Lord arrested my heart late last night that this is the direction I was going. And I just, I began to pray and I, and, and, and I couldn't think on the next thing I should pray for because I kept thinking about what God was telling me in my heart to tell you that prayer, how it has benefited me. Number one, intimacy with the living Lord. Prayer benefits because it brings intimacy with the living Lord. Um, let me show you something over here in John 20, I mean, sorry, Jeremiah 24. So this, if I don't get my notes really correct, give me a break. I just wrote this down this morning. But it says in Jeremiah 24 and verse number 7, And I will give them an heart to know me, to know me, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And that was in Jeremiah 24, but may I read to you what it says in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 23. I think that some of you are familiar with this because Paul nearly quoted this verbatim in the New Testament. Notice what it says in Jeremiah 9 verse number 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness. Some of you were at Southwide this past year. I, I, I preached about loving kindness. That's an interesting word. Do you realize the word loving kindness was never in the English language until 1535? In 1535, Miles Coverdale came to the word chesed, and he was exasperated, yea, frustrated, because there was not that equivalency it appeared to be in English. And in every language they go through this. Like the Germans have a word, sonzuk. We don't have a word like that. It's a deep longing and angst for something you've never experienced, but yet you know it's there. Hiroth, I think, is a Gaelic word. Same thing. We don't have an English equivalency for it. We do the best we can. And hesed is one of those words. It's translated many times as mercy, as kind, as love. Well, Miles Coverdale, in translating the Bible, before the King James got here, he came to the word said, and there was no English equivalency, and so he actually invented a word, loving kindness. Loving kindness. So anyway, God says, here's what I want. I want you to know me. Know me that I have this said. Know me that I have this loving kindness. Know my judgment. Know my righteousness. And righteous therefore these things I delight, saith the Lord. You can't know what I believe about something unless you know me. That's what God is saying. This is why Paul prayed that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know you so well that I could sense the pain that you went through in the cross, that I could see the power of your resurrection. I want to know you that intimately. That knowing is not only for Jeremiah and Paul, that knowing is for you. And it will never be found unless we pray the price. What has prayer done for me? It has allowed me to observe the miracles that God can do personally. You know, there's a lot of young people that are jumping the ship. A lot of our crowd, they don't like us as fundamentalists, so they decide, well, they're going to be Reformed. And then they don't like Reformed, they're going to be Orthodox. They don't like that, well, they'll just say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Come right down, feed our face. You know what the great problem is? You don't need another denomination. You don't need to try another church. 
By the way, I'd like to go on record the saying that I believe as a fundamental independent Baptist, King James, legalist type that I am, because we have a dress code. Can you believe that? We still do. I'm not a dinosaur. This is what the apostles believed. This is what Jesus believed. So in case you're wondering, are we right? And everybody's telling you that we're wrong. <laughs> Let me help you. They're wrong. We're right. But I want to tell you something. But, but I, I, I kind of detoured. What I want to say is, you know what your problem is? It's not that your God's not sovereign enough. Oh, he's sovereign, and he doesn't need us to explain him. But he does want us to believe him. The problem is that we just don't know him. This book was not written by man. It's the only book that God ever wrote. And he points out that it is not carnally, it is not naturally discerned. This is written by God, and the only way you can know... Have you ever been around somebody that wrote a book that you read? And then you get around them and you say, hey, you know, I was reading chapter 3, and I was wondering, oh, yeah, well, can I explain that? Yeah, go ahead. So if I'm sitting next to the author of the book, I'm going to pretty much know exactly what he said. He wrote the words. You can glean after me and read every commentary that you could and should read. Nothing wrong with that. I read commentaries, but my friend, nothing can substitute on you opening up the Bible and getting audience with God and finding out what the author of the book says and what he meant when he said what he said. And the great thing is also, and this is, I kind of chased a rabbit there, but I have seen God answer prayer in such a way that nothing can explain that it was miraculous. I know two instances where a team of 30 doctors have looked at somebody who came back from stage four cancer in total health, declaring, we're not declaring it in remission, we're declaring it's as though they never had it. I'm thinking of a five-year-old girl that her father asked us to anoint in prayer and pray the prayer of faith, and we did that. Five years of age, had a, had a little knot on her neck that came up. It was golf ball size, then hard ball size, then a soft ball size, and then MD Anderson, arguably the greatest cancer clinic in the world, sent her home with pain meds saying, keep her comfortable. Five years of age, Giovanna Sanchez. We prayed the price. And then it went from softball to hardball to golfball to gone. No medica no more chemo, no nothing, nothing else would work. And the doctor said, we declare her cancer-free as though she never had it. This summer she just got married, 27 years of age, just got married. So, you know, listen to me. So, I'm not having a problem believing in the existence of God. And I'm not having a problem thinking, am I, am, I, am I in the right church? Do I believe the right stuff? I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I'm getting some prayers answered. And it's not because, let me just say this, I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. It's because God answers prayer. And he promised that if we would ask, we would receive. If we would seek, we would find. If we would knock, the door would be open. How else has prayer benefited me? Well, my thought life has become controlled. My thought life has become controlled.
Brother Rasmussen, when I was in college, you know I were, were very young, and I think you might have gone through what I went through. Because of our youth, Brother John, some of the guys would come and become incredibly transparent because some of them, they were just barely younger than us. Some of our students were actually a little older than us. And there was one time I remember, I had 300 preacher boys in my classes, but I remember one time um, it seemed like every other preacher boy came by my office with a very similar question. Brother Pope, I, I need some help. I said, what do you need help on? They said, my thought life. I'm standing near a girl and, I, and my thoughts are not where they ought to be. And uh, I've laid my hand on 1 Corinthians 10, 13. By the way, that's a great verse. There is no temptation taken you, but such as has come in the man. God is faithful, not suffer you to be tempted above the or able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may bear it. Right? That's what he promised. So they said, I have laid my hand on it. I have named it and claimed it. I have blabbed it and grabbed it, but it's not working. Let me tell you something. God's word always works, but we're the ones that don't work. I remember a simple thing. I said, Lord, I need to give these young men some answers because I know exactly what they're talking about. Help me, Lord, to help my brothers in Christ. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt deeply impressed, and I think it was God. Look up the word, in, look, look up the word temptation. <laughs> and at that time, we had to use concordances that were like this, remember? Very fine print, you know. And I remember looking up the word temptation, and I was amazed because there were six times in the Gospels before we got to the epistle of Paul when he said, no temptation taken you, where the word by our Lord is used, the word temptation. And in all six places, all of those words were, pray that ye enter not in temptation. Pray lest ye enter in temptation. No temptation taken. Do you get it? Pray that ye enter not into. Temptation taken, and then temptation prevented. Let me just say this parenthetically. If I jump out of a plane at 15,000 feet without a parachute, it's senseless for me to pray, Lord, let something open up. Right? Gravity's going to do its work. If I'm in the middle of a lake and I have a 44 Magnum and I put six holes in the bottom of the boat and the, and the water geysers up, it would be vain for me to pray, Lord, don't let me sink. I just blew the bottom of the boat out. That, that's what you call presumptuous. Remember, David said, deliver me from presumptuous sin. Look at the etymology of the word presumptuous. Presume. <laughs> I presume that I'll get away with what God judges us for. I presume that I'm strong enough. I can... Oh, no, no, no. He said the presumptuous sin leads to the great transgression. I presume I'm okay. I can, invite, I can invite temptation to my life, you know. So you go over to your girlfriend's house, and the mom and dad are there, and everything's fine. They go to bed. You get a little closer. You hold hands. get a little closer. Put your arm around her, and then you kiss her, and you kiss her again, and you find out, wait a minute, I'm... I'm thinking thoughts I shouldn't be thinking. Lord, help me, because there's no temptation taking you, you fool. When mom and dad went to bed, you should have gotten your carcass out of there. 
You just invited temptation in your life. Well, I mean, I didn't even think about it. It was only before I knew it. Well, what do I do? Pray the price. Pray that you enter not into temptation. There's something about prayer that helps you in your thought life. Proverbs 16, 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Listen to me, guys. Ladies, you can't live in the holy place and live an unholy life. And the things of this world become strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You see, praying is living in the light of His glory and grace. I've known men that were called great CO types as pastors that have fallen. I've known men that were called great orators, elocutionists that have fallen. I've known great didactic teaching men that have fallen. But I want to tell you something, gentlemen. I have never known on a personal experience a man that was truly a great man of prayer that ever fell. Brother Toby, never met one. Now, I've heard some say that they were, but I'm talking about those that really spend time with the Lord because what happens when you spend this amount of time with the Lord in prayer, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Oh, the closer you are to Jesus, the more sin really looks bad. And therefore, the temptation isn't as strong because for one thing, if you go into giving in to a temptation that is awful in the corner over here, then you sacrifice that intimacy with God. And I want to tell you something. I enjoyed my fellowship with Brother Chapel last night. I enjoyed my fellowship with you all today. I enjoyed, Brother Toby, my fellowship with you. And I love my fellowship with my wife better than anybody. The truth of the matter is, we can live without all of that. But we are not designed to live without fellowship with God. That's why he put man in the garden, to have fellowship with him. The first thing that God was missing when Adam and Eve fell was fellowship. Why do I pray and what has it done for me? Living a life of prayer helps you accept everything that comes into your life. Remember in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, there was a man who was born blind from his birth. <laughs> I have to laugh every time I read it because it's so ridiculous. So the disciples want to know, well, why is he blind? Is it because his parents sinned or is it because he sinned? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. How much sin can you get involved in before you're born? You gave your mother heartburn while she was carrying you, blinded now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so Jesus said, no, 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 no. It was not because of the sins of the parents, not because of something he did. He said that the works of God might be manifested or that the glory of God might be revealed. You see, if you are living a backslidden life, every time things go wrong, the first place you go is, this is discipline. And then if you're not willing to get right with the Lord, you say, God's mad at me and I'm mad at God. I wish I had time to tell you the story of David Sevia and his wife who left Switzerland and went to the Belgian Congo. I think you can look up David, his wife Sevia. I can't think of her last name, but they were Swedes. But... They went through a, a horrible, horrible valley. She accepted it. He did not. But it had a good ending. It's so easy 
When things go wrong, when you're not in right relation with the Lord, is to say this is discipline, punitive action. And then the chances are it may be right. But when you are in great relationship with the Lord, and you even know down deep in your heart that all is on the altar, when God brings trouble like he did Job, you can say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Not that you won't have doubts. Job had doubts, but man, as you see, he came through. And what carried him through was he knew that his Redeemer liveth. A person that prays knows that God is alive and God loves them and that God has a plan and a purpose even when the whole bottom falls out. If you have no life of prayer, trials will never make sense to you other than that God's whipping you. What a joy to know that God loves you enough to bring you through some trials for a perfection that we didn't even know about. Okay, so we got about 15 more minutes here. I want to talk to you about this. So why pray? I've talked about personal benefits, but let me go to a higher purpose. Let me go to a higher reason to pray. Look at Mark chapter 9. Here's a higher reason to pray. Anybody here ever read In His Steps by Charles Sheldon? Okay, that's almost a rhetorical question, I believe. Like, like when I was uh, growing up in the faith, um, that, was, that was a rite of passage. You read In His Steps by Sheldon. And the whole, and the whole gist of the book that uh, Charles Sheldon did on Sunday nights in Topeka, Kansas, when he would read one chapter a night to his... By the way, that was such a great revival that came out of that book that heard, they heard about they, they, that the, the largest newspaper in Kansas decided to do what he did, only advertise like Jesus would advertise, and the, um, the publication and the distributing of the paper went up uh, 300 times. It's an amazing story. England found out about it. He went over there with his book and over 100,000 people professed faith in Christ. In his steps, Charles Sheldon. Now, now get ready because he is a post-millennialist. You can see that at the end of it. But other than that, it's still good. Hey, and if I was a post-millennialist, I'd be wanting to bring in the kingdom too because <laughs> you sure needs to be brought in, huh? But anyway, I'm a premillennial. Don't let me scare you. But anyway, but the whole gist of the book is what would Jesus do? Remember? What would Jesus do? And the weirdest thing, back in the, I think, late 70s, early 80s or somewhere, uh, they were marketing WWJD, and this ridiculous company wanted to copyright it. I felt like saying, you didn't write the book in 1899. Sheldon did, weirdo. But anyway, WWJD, what would Jesus do? By the way, I think that's a good question to ask. What would Jesus do or what would Jesus have me do? You know, you're thinking about marrying this certain girl. What would Jesus do? Well, he didn't marry, you know. Another, he takes the whole church as his bride, but he doesn't marry personally, right? So you can say, well, what would Jesus have me to do? So that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, so what would Jesus do? You want to know what Jesus would do? Why don't you just check out what Jesus did? As the young people would say, duh, you know. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now, this is if you ever took the heart. Do you all do the harmony of the Gospels here? Do you teach harmony? Do you teach harmony Gospels here? Okay, I love it. One of my favorite subjects of all time. The harmony of the Gospels. Looking at the harmony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's beautiful. Well, 
as you examine the scriptures, when we took harmony, this came after what was called the busy day at Capernaum. It's called the busy day at Capernaum because more miracles were done on that day than any other day. So the next morning, I don't know about you, but when I'm really worn out, I like the concept or idea, if I can possibly do it, is sleeping in. Not Jesus. After the busy day at Capernaum, notice what it says in verse number 35. Chapter 1, Mark, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He gets up early in the morning and he prays. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew 14 and verse number 22. Matthew 14 and verse number 22. Now this is the exact midway of Jesus' ministry. The exact midway of Jesus' ministry. He has just fed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Notice what it says in verse 22. And straightway, Matthew 14, verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So just after this great miracle, he sent the disciples away. He got up in the mountain to pray. If you have your Bibles, look with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 22. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry is getting up early and praying. In the middle of ministry, he was going up into the mountain and praying. Did anything change in his life and ministry on this earth? Notice what it says in Luke 22 and verse number 39. Luke 22, 39, coming into the Garden of Gethsemane. Notice the wording, my friend. And he came out, verse 39, Luke 22, and went as he was wont... That means as was usual, to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. It's interesting to note that it says the place, the place. Our Lord seemed to be known for the places that he prayed. The beginning of the ministry, he gets up a great while before day and he prays. The middle of the ministry, after doing the great miracle, he gets up in the mountain and pray. At the end of the ministry, he's in Gethsemane, hours before he dies, and he prays the price. Without carrying this too far, in Luke chapter 23, we see something interesting. If we simply turn the page, verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. That was the opening line of the cross. Seven different sayings on the cross. The opening line is a prayer. In Matthew 27, 46, in the middle of the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A prayer. Out of the seven sayings, now we have two of the sayings are prayers. The final one, verse 47, Luke chapter 23, now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying certainly uh, he was a righteous man. I'm sorry, verse number 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Three of the seven sayings of Jesus were prayers. And make note of this, Hebrews 7, 25. What is Jesus doing now? It says, wherefore he is able also even to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7, 25. He called your name out in prayer today. You say, how does he do that? He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He knows you. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. What did Jesus do in the beginning of his ministry? He prayed. 
What did he do in the middle of the ministry? He prayed. What did he do at the end of the ministry in Gethsemane? He prayed. What did he do while he was dying? He prayed. What's he doing now? He's praying. What did Jesus do? What is Jesus doing? WWJD? Do you really need any ramification? Do you need me to really haul off and holler a little bit? Do you get it? So why should I pray? Because Jesus did. You want to be like Jesus? Be like Jesus. Oh, let me just throw this in real quickly, okay? Let me throw this in real quickly. All right? You can go into, when you, well, we can still go into bookstores in Houston. I don't know if they're still able to do bookstores here, but, but you can go into Barnes & Noble, half-price books or, you know, Borders, whatever bookstore you want to go to, especially the secular ones. And you will see not just shelves, but correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Asmussen, shelves on self-help. Shelves. Self-help. How to become a better you. <laughs> I'd like to be more like him. The best version of you ain't good enough, really. <laughs> Come on. The Bible says even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Are you ready for this? The good things you have to offer God. And they say that the rags spoken of there are the rags the leper colonies would use to wipe themselves down when they went to the next city. And nobody would come out and wash the rags. They were lepers' rags. So guess what? The next leper colony would come through. They'd snap those crunchy rags and they'd wipe themselves down. And God says, the best thing you've got to offer me, dirty rags. Feeling better about yourself? Aren't you a champion, huh? Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I had a dear friend that was just caught up in the self-help and everything, and it's all about me, you know. Preaching an entire message, if it's to be, it's up to me. After it was over, I said, oh dear, we're in trouble. Because if it's up to you or me, we're all in trouble. Another guy that had a college, and, and he was saying, my goal is to reproduce myself. And I knew the young man very well, and I wrote a little note and slipped it under his door and said, what a ripoff your students are having. Because if your goal is to reproduce yourself, for one thing, you're doing something different than Paul did. Paul said he travailed until Christ be formed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what the philosophy of the Western mentality, self-help, humanism is become a great achiever. What the mind of man can conceive, he can achieve. <laughs> what the mind of man can conceive, he can achieve. If I hear this once, I hear it a thousand times. Hey, come on, man, make it happen, 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 make it happen. And that's one reason so many of our people are frustrated because we can't make anything happen that's worth keeping. Look at Jesus. He was teaching us something. He would give out in prayer. He would give out in ministry. Remember the woman that touched him? He said, hey, hey, who touched me? I'm paraphrasing. The disciples said, what do you mean touch you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's thronging you. He said, no, no, no. He perceived that virtue went out of him. And the word virtue is the word dynamis. A dynamic power had gone out of him. It left him. 
You look at what Jesus was doing. He would do miracles, and as soon as he would, he could have done all the power of the miracles that he did by who he was, second person of the Holy Trinity. But he did all of his miracles to the power of the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's teaching us. I'm going to send him. He's going to comfort you. He's going to convict you. He's going to convince you. He's coming. He's the one that's been helping me. I could have done this by just who I am, but I did it through the third person. So what did Jesus do? He gave out, and then he got into the secret place, and he took back in. He gave out, then he would get in prayer and take back in. He would give out. The reason a lot of us are giving out, the reason many of us are wiping out, the many reason of us are, are rusting out, the many, reason, the many reasons that many of us are just wiping out is because we give out and don't get in the secret place and take back in. See, the Bible says in Acts, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall receive power. I mean, Jesus said, remember the Word of God, John 1? As many as received him, you see, power with God is not achieved. Power with God is received. So to get in the secret place is what God wants you to do so that you can receive power. Then the achieving will be unto his glory. Because not of who you are. Because See, what God is looking at for somebody that's going to give him glory for what he does in your life. And prayer life humbles you before the Lord because you know it was God and not you. God's looking for some great receivers. Now, last of all, look with me, if you will, to Exodus 32. You may be sitting there saying, Brother Pope, I, um, I'm just one person. I'm just one person. Can my prayer life really change things? We were talking at the beginning of the message how that God is looking for a man. And by the way, he's looking for women too that will stand before him in the gap to get in that secret place to pray the price. He's looking for you to do this. He said, I want you to talk me out of judgment that I'm going to bring. And this is what Abraham did. He was praying that God would not bring the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God didn't put that story in there just to be a good bedtime story. He meant that. He's giving us a principle there. Do you see? You see? Our country right now is on the threshold of full-blown judgment. I think to a degree we're in judgment. We're on the threshold of full-blown judgment. We could even be at the threshold of the Third World War right now. Not only, young people, do you not realize, but even the administration and the politicians in Washington, they don't understand how close we are to the God who said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. He promised to heal our land. The antithesis is true because if we're not seeking his face, he will destroy the land. He can. He's done it before. Oh, God loves Americans more than anybody else. No, he loves the world the same. He's no respect of persons. Wait a minute. You're saying, but I'm just one person. Could my prayer life really make that difference? There was a man who interceded, who got the heart of God. His name, of course, is Moses. And the Bible says in Exodus 32 and verse number 30, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. There he is, before me. I'm going to go before God. 
I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou would forgive their sin, it's the only place in the Bible where a dash is placed. By the way, some of the modern translations take the dash out. They have no business doing that. It should be there. You know why? Because that's prayer without words. Ian Bounds said, better to have prayer without words than words without prayer. Moses is so caught up in prayer that he's in the secret place, yet now, if that would forgive their sin, oh! And God says to the angel, record it! Record what, Father? Put a dash right there because I heard it. I heard his heart! I heard the prayer! The wordless prayer, I heard him! I saw the tears! God puts our tears in the bottle, are they not in the book? I saw the tears, I, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Is it, any, is it any mystery to you that it was Moses and Elijah, fervent prayers that showed up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Forgive their sin, O oh God, and if not, just take me out of your plan forever. Did God hear his prayer? Look at Psalm 106 and you'll get your answer. Psalm 106 in verse number 23. This is one of the passages of Scripture. Had not the Bible said this, Brother Getch, Brother Rasmussen, Brother Weaver, had not the Bible said this, I would have found it very difficult to believe. Keep this in mind. When Moses prayed the prayer, it is estimated that the population was somewhere between 2 and 4 million people in Israel. I believe it was closer by now to 4 million people. So he is praying, God... God said it. He, didn't, he wasn't kidding. God said, I'm going to take them all out. I'm, what, I'm taking out four million people in judgment. And Moses got in the secret place. He got into the breach. He got, in, he got into that gap. He got into that hole and said, don't. God, don't. Four million people's lives are at stake, not to mention their eternity. And the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 23, Therefore, he said, that's God, that he would destroy them had not Moses as chosen stood before him in the breach, there's the gap, to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. Do you know what God just said there? God just said, I saved four million people from judgment because one man prayed the price. Don't you dare sit out there and snarkily I don't know if that's a word. I think it, okay. Me and Coverdale, we'll invent our own words here. Don't dare sit there with a snarky attitude and say, that's good. That's good for them preacher boys. That's good for them preacher wives. That's good for, or that's good for the big gun preacher. God deliver us from that kind of thoughts. God is of no respect of person. He wants to hear your prayer as much as he does my prayer. God loves you as much as he does me and Dr. Chapel and these men over here. God loves you and he has a plan for your life just as important as anything they're doing. Don't you dare sit there and, well, I'll just be a homeschooling mother. Or, well, I'll just pastor a little mission out in the middle of nowhere. Stop that. Because do you realize if you pray the price, you could do more in a life of prayer than many people who aren't praying and they're just spinning their wheels in the work of the Lord, shooting off fireworks but never changing lives.